Shabbat Shalom. Welcome back from your summer excursions. We missed each other, right? I missed you. It's good to see you again. If you're new to the synagogue, welcome. We embrace you. Come up to us after the services or sometime during the week or the next two weeks and introduce yourselves to us. We want to get to know you. If you're testing us out, shul shopping, what are you waiting for? It's less than two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. Time's running out. We'd love to have you with us. Just call the office on Monday, say that you're calling in response to the rabbi's charge. You heard the rabbi on Friday night and you wanted to join. And if we don't do it for you, you don't like the building or the neighborhood or the sanctuary or heaven forbid the rabbis. <laughs> Everyone loves the cantor, by the way. If there's something here that turns you off, find another synagogue that turns you on. In these anxious and morally dubious times, it's good to be part of a community. We need to be anchored in institutions that represent the values that we cherish and to be connected to like-minded people. It's not good to be alone. If you watch news every day, if you read the newspapers or receive your information mostly through social media, and if you stew with anxiety and seethe with indignation, you shouldn't be alone. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your emotional health. It's not good for your moral health. It's not good for your relationships at home or at work. Your loved ones and your colleagues will turn away from you. The Bible states, it's not good for you or for society for a person to be alone. And it's definitely not good for the Jewish community. Come back this year. Find comfort in the synagogue during this period of high anxiety. As Jews have done for millennia. We are enveloped here in the warm blanket of age-old Jewish wisdom and eternal Jewish values. There is a community here that wants you and respects you and you can lean on and that loves you. What occurs outside our synagogue, in the general marketplace of communal discourse, often causes us immediate emotional responses. Anger and fear seem to predominate nowadays. The threat of nuclear war in the Korean Peninsula that might put American cities at risk, racial animosity on the streets, policies that seem cruel, killing the American dream for so many. Devastating hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, and natural disasters that create a sense of foreboding it is important to fear things that can cause us harm. We should fear many things. We should fear gigantic storms. In fact, viewing the catastrophes of Texas and the Caribbean and the looming catastrophe in Florida, the monsoons in Asia, we probably don't fear nature enough. 
Otherwise, we would be much more proactive in recognizing climate change and addressing its causes and effects. We should fear enemies. We should fear North Korea. We should fear ISIS. We should fear American Nazis and white supremacists. We should fear disease. We should fear poverty. But we are not merely emotional creatures. We should not only be fearful. fearful. Emotions, you know, they're immediate. But we're also contemplative beings. We take our time to learn. Social media exacerbates that part of us that feels that we need to respond immediately and with heightened emotion. But that's not all we are. We are also creatures of discernment, of slow, steady, analytical character. We are a hybrid of impulses and intelligence, emotions and equilibrium, anxiety and affirmation. We are of two hearts. We have a heart of intense emotions, anger, foreboding, and fear. We take offense easily. We hate casually. But we also have a heart of gold, a wise and discerning heart, where goodness, values, and meaning reside. We should seek to find the balance, to fear what should be feared, but not to allow fear to paralyze action or trample upon moral values. We should not allow anxiety to dominate our lives. Otherwise, we will be unable to address the causes of our anxiety or to exercise the other part of us, the part that seeks goodness, wisdom, understanding, moral uprightness, and concern for others. Fear and moral uprightness don't usually go together. When we're fearful, we're too fearful to think about other people. The Parsha of the Week, Kitavo, towards the end of Deuteronomy, the last book of the Torah, refers to the composition of the human heart. There are two types of hearts mentioned in the Parsha, both of which reside in us all the time. The first is Lev Ragaz, a trembling heart, a worrying heart, a fearful heart. Lo targia velo yiemanoach, you shall find no peace, nor shall you find a place to rest. God will give you an anguished, trembling heart and a despondent spirit. And the Torah then lists a litany of calamities causing our heart to tremble. Calamities of nature, Heat, drought, storms, and floods, calamities of health, death and disease, calamities of personal well-being, hunger, poverty, calamities of social breakdown, conquest, persecution, enslavement, prejudice, intolerance, violence. 
All of us worry about such things. All of us have a lev ragaz, a trembling heart that worries about all the risks of the world to us and our loved ones and our community. To be alive is to worry. But our Parsha also describes an additional heart, lev ladaat, an understanding heart, a wise and discerning heart, a compassionate, good, and merciful heart. We must develop this part of us as well. It's what religious institutions try to do. Not only to fear calamity, but to cultivate goodness, level-headedness, and moral uprightness. You see, the best of human beings, the fullest expression of Lev Ladad, a good, wise, and discerning heart in the aftermath of calamity. How inspiring to see thousands of acts of courage, heroism, generosity, and compassion after Hurricane Harvey. I cannot describe to you the inspiration that we felt in Greece, meeting aid workers and first responders who left good jobs and good loving families and good neighborhoods to save refugees and desperate human beings with no regard for recognition or reward. They do it simply because of the goodness of the heart. It is the right thing to do. They have cultivated and developed this amazing heart. Levladat, a noble heart, stronger than most. The moral arteries are unblocked by self-aggrandizement and the pure blood of human compassion flows through their entire being. It takes longer to develop a discerning and wise heart. It takes time and determination. In fact, the context of that phrase in the Parsha, Lev Ladat, is Moses summoning all of the people on the final day of his life, immediately after warning them of all of the calamities that will befall them if they stray from God's ways. And at this moment, Moses says the following, Velonatan lachem Adonai, Lev Ladat, Enaim lirot, veoznaim lishmoa, ad hayom God has not given you a discerning heart or eyes to see or ears to hear until this very day. It took 40 years to acquire a wise heart, a discerning heart. In the course of their journeys, the people saw everything. They saw all of the miracles and marvels of Egypt. They saw the exodus, the sea splitting. Still, only now, 40 years later, Moses finally says to them, now, only today, God has given you a wise and discerning heart. Instinct is immediate. Wisdom takes time. Anxiety comes first. Determination takes time. Trembling comes first. Discernment takes time. Fear comes first. Overcoming fear takes time. Prejudice comes first. We are biologically hardwired to fear the stranger. Acceptance takes time. Intolerance comes first. Tolerance takes time. We must learn moral control. 
We must cultivate moral habits and train ourselves for moral goodness. We must be taught to be good. We must practice being good. And we think that a child that is born with huge musical potential will grow up to excel in music without being taught? Do we think that a child with huge athletic potential will grow up to be a star without training? Do we think that a child with a high IQ will excel in academics without teachers? So why do we think that ethics, morals, generosity, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, good-heartedness can be instilled without instruction? That's what we try and do here. The musician must learn to produce music, but the ethical person need not learn how to produce good deeds. That's what we think. In our society, we teach mostly value, not values. In schools, we teach practical skills, not principles and ideals. We think that the big moral ideas will somehow be absorbed by the next generation without instruction. We need a teacher to teach us mathematical calculus, but moral calculus can be picked up without instruction. We need a teacher to teach us about the cells in the human body, but knowledge of the soul can be picked up without instruction. We need a teacher to teach us how to invest money, but how to give money can be picked up without instruction. We need a teacher to teach us about outer space, but inner peace can be picked up without instruction on our own. It doesn't work that way. For those of you who are already members of our community, you know. This is what we try and teach and try and cultivate and try and train all the time because we don't get it outside. For those of you who are not synagogue members, come back this year. Join a synagogue. It will cultivate in you and your children a wise, a moral and a discerning heart. Shana Tava I wish you and all of us to experience a sweet, joyous, peaceful, and prosperous year, one of good health, perhaps some anxiety, and much wisdom. <laughs>